Well, good morning, church. For those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Jason. I am the uh, adult ministries pastor here at Friendship. If you don't know me, that's okay. I've only been here for a month. So, um, and thank you. It, it's great to be here. Um, the, the transition from Chicago, uh, which is where I'm from, has been what I would describe a, a glorious whirlwind. You know, God, in the midst of it, has been faithful to provide everything that our family needs, and so that's why I would call it glorious, and that, that he gives us what we need, no matter what uh, stage of life, no matter what season we find ourselves in, God has proved himself to our family in this season that he's the provider, and we have felt so welcomed already uh, by Friendship Church, and so it's been a, a glorious uh, time for us. But it's still been a whirlwind, I'll tell you that. And I'll, let me tell you a quick story um, about that. It's back in mid-July. Uh, some of you may remember this. We actually made a, a little visit, my family and I, up to the Shakopee campus here, um, kind of as a last, like, oh, do we really want to sign on to this thing? Like, let's... And you guys passed the test, clearly, because uh, here we are. Um, so we, we, made, we were making this trip from Chicago to visit Friendship, and uh, two days before we left, something weird happened with the key uh, to our van, and it could go into the ignition, but it would not turn it. And so it turns out that the lock cylinder there, some stuff was broken, so we needed a locksmith to come, and he had a couple of days to come and do it so that we could load up into our van and, and come up here. And fortunately, we found a locksmith who did that for us. Um, unfortunately, when the locksmith went in to work with that, that kind of set off the security system in the van. And so now we could put the key in and we could turn it, but the van would not start. The security system would not let it start. So we're like, oh, okay, God, are we going to friendship or not? Um, so I got on Google, um, as you do, and I went to every single forum for the Chevy town and country that I could find. And I'm reading about this problem. I'm starting to get a good feel for what's going on and, and maybe even how, how I could fix it. But I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the equipment. And I definitely don't have the experience uh, to make that happen. What I needed at that point was somebody who could do it on my behalf. And that day, Chuck became my savior. <laughs> Chuck was the mechanic who lived uh, just a few homes down from us. He owned the shop right up the road from us. And Chuck was able to bring the car in and get that thing going uh, in such a short period of time. And, and he got us up here um, and, and everything all worked out so that we could make it up to Minnesota and visit. And um, Following all those instructions from the forum uh, and the advice online, it just wasn't enough at that point. I, I didn't need to follow a system to get the van going. It wasn't that um, I needed to plug the right things in. Um, I needed somebody else to do it for me. I needed a savior. Um, and that's what, what Jesus teaches about himself. Uh, this morning, as we're in this series, uh, Jesus revealed, uh, God revealed in, in the the gospel of Mark, 
Um, Jesus is, is teaching about himself here in the early chapters here. And we learn this morning from him that we need a savior, not a system of beliefs, not a system of religion. Um, and Jesus shows himself to be that savior. And so if you have your Bibles, you can uh, open up to Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And um, I'll, I'll let you get there, uh, Mark 2. Uh, verse 13, and as we read through this passage today, we're, we're going to see the main differences between a Savior versus a system, and I pray that, that by the end of it, we will all see our desperate need to repent, not just of uh, sin in our life, but also of our self-righteousness, also of the religious systems that we trust in instead of Jesus, and so that's where we're heading this morning. We need a Savior uh, not a system. And I know it's a, somewhat of a simple uh, thing, and maybe if you've been a believer for a while, you're like, yeah, duh. Um, but that's what the passage teaches us, um, and sometimes it's the most simplest things that we need to hear again that can have a profound impact on our hearts. And so I, I pray this morning that uh, you'll follow along and see our need for a Savior, not a system. Here in Mark 2, Jesus is continuing his ministry in Galilee, and uh, if, if you started to notice last week, his ministry is kind of getting him into trouble with the religious leaders. Well, we, we saw last week, they were like, well, who's this guy? He's forgiving sins. What's going on, Jesus? Who do you think you are? God? And last week, Pastor Kenny was like, yeah, yeah, exactly, you're getting it. But he's starting to rub shoulders and, and get into trouble with these religious leaders. Um, and, and that kind of paints the problem uh, already, before we even jump in. That th this reveals uh, where the values of the religious leaders are. The, the religious leaders valued their systems. The, the way that they are doing religion, the things that they've set up uh, to make themselves right before God, to, to make themselves righteous, they valued that. And so when Jesus didn't fit into their system, you got conflict. Uh, how do I fit this Jesus guy in here? It uh, doesn't quite work, so we've got to deal with this issue. And so the first difference that we see between a Savior versus a system is this, that a Savior meets you where you are, but a system tells you what you must do first. And so uh, picking up in Mark 2, verse 13, Mark says of Jesus, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now maybe you've heard about tax collectors before. But I just want to get on the same page here this morning. Tax collectors were viewed in a very negative light in the Roman Empire. Maybe you feel like that about the IRS today. I don't know. But in the Roman Empire, there was zero shred of accountability for what a tax collector could do. So he very easily uh, could extort you or upcharge you. And there wasn't much that you could do, especially if you were a uh, Jew living in Rome and you didn't really have any social status or social sway. And so it's kind of a double whammy, double negative if you were a Jew who was a tax collector because now you're kind of colluding with the Romans and you're taking advantage of your own oppressed people. 
Tax collectors are not viewed well. We even read uh, in some Jewish sources that a Jewish person who collected taxes was disqualified from being a judge, uh, from being a witness in court. You couldn't even uh, give testimony in court. They were expelled from the synagogue, and they were a cause of disgrace to their family. So for Jesus to call a tax collector to follow him as a disciple was bonkers. Like, what in the world is Jesus doing calling a tax collector, but what I find even weirder is the response of this tax collector in verse 14, and he rose and followed him. What is a sinner like that, a tax collector? What's he doing messing with or or following a religious leader? What does he have anything, any interest in religion at all? What's, What's Levi doing here? Let's read on. Verses 15 to 17. And as he, Jesus, reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So not only does Jesus uh, invite one tax collector to follow him, you you may be able to write that off. Okay, he made a mistake. He didn't realize that he was a tax collector, which is, you can't really say that. He was sitting at the tax booth. What do you think he was? But not only does he call a tax collector, um, we see that he's now associated with many He's sitting at a table with them, and and Mark goes out of his way to say, it's kind of clunky in the original, but he goes out of his way to say, oh, and by the way, there were many of these tax collectors and sinners who followed him. That somehow, this religious figure, Jesus, was drawing the sinners and drawing the tax collectors. What's going on there? That's weird, because for the Pharisees looking at that, they're like, man, we don't have anything to do with sinners and tax collectors. So this Jesus guy, there must be something off about him. And this, this word in verse 15, that they were reclining, that's not just a uh, regular meal talk, that they're talking about there. And that word was a very intimate and kind of a fellowship-type setting. Like, you would actually sit down for a meal kind of on the ground um, for just a regular meal. But reclining was kind of like, everyone's kind of like, I don't know, doing this weird, like, laying back. And you're laying on each other, all right? So... You can practice that at lunch, I guess, doing that little uh, reclining there and and increase the fellowship and intimacy. Um, But that's what Jesus was doing here. He was in this more intimate setting. And so what he's doing there is he's, he's allowing himself to be associated with tax collectors and, and with sinners. And that's just too much for the religious leaders. See, the Pharisees here, They'd gotten really good at religion. They'd built this nice little intricate system. And if you followed this system, then you were righteous. You were accepted in the synagogues. And and you earned God's favor. If you didn't follow their system, you were a sinner. It's kind of, I don't know, I'm I'm taken aback a little bit by this, that a group of people would have the audacity to say, 
Not just, oh, if you deny uh, that Jesus is Lord or if, if you're a murderer, then you're a sinner. Okay, that's one thing. But for a group of people to say, this is how we understand the law. These are the practices that we want to do. And if you don't follow these practices, then you're a sinner, I mean, they've placed their system then in the seat of God. They've said what they say, their system determines if you're righteous or not, not God himself. And so when the Pharisees see that Jesus is associating with those tax collectors and those sinners, that's just too much for them because one of their strictest rules was food purity and table fellowship. You couldn't defile yourself by eating with unclean Gentiles or sinners or <gasps> tax collectors. That's another thing that just I don't fully understand. It's like, are we in high school again? Like, Jesus, the jocks don't sit with the nerds. Come on. It's like Jesus is here bringing the kingdom of God, and the Pharisees just care about who you can share a kosher hot dog with. It's like, all right, guys, your focus is in the wrong place. And that highlights a major difference between a savior and a system. That in the system, for the Pharisees, that system tells you what you must do first. Before you can be right before God, before you can be accepted, you need to fill out your checklist. A system says, hey, you're wrong and out of line, and you need to do all of this stuff first, and, and then you'll be accepted. But Jesus, our Savior, says, no, yeah, you're wrong and, and out of line, you're a sinner, but that's exactly why I'm here. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. A system tells you what you must do first, but a Savior meets you where you are. As he met Levi, the tax collector, where he was and called him. He didn't say, Levi, stop doing what you're doing, stop sinning and follow me. He said, Levi, follow me. Now, as Levi follows Jesus, Jesus is going to live in a way and speak in a way and teach in a way that Levi feels compelled, oh, if I want to be serious about following Jesus, there are things in my life that I need to stop doing. But do you see how that order is different than saying, first, Levi, you got to take care of this, 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 and this, and then we can talk. That's what Jesus is doing here. And he draws on this a common concept in Greek philosophy here, where he talks about, uh, I came not to uh, heal the, sorry, the, you don't heal the strong. I'm thinking of the Matthew passage. I've got to take a look here. Where are we? Shakopee. So Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician. Now, that was the, that was the philosophy concept that uh, philosophers or religious leaders uh, were viewed as physicians in a way, physicians of the soul. And so Jesus is drawing on this concept, and he uses it to call out the religious leaders. I think this statement here, it's so simple, but it's so profound that those who are well have no need of a physician. Duh. Right? I mean, that's just, everyone knows that. 
Those who are sick need it. And he uses this statement. I mean, it's beautiful. Like he's, he's speaking to the, to the religious. He's speaking to the Pharisees. And he's saying, if you're righteous, as you presume to be, if you're righteous and healthy, then you have no need for a physician. Okay? Why do you care that a physician is going to sick people? If you're righteous and morally healthy, wouldn't you want other people to become righteous and morally healthy? Wouldn't you want to go to the sick and go to the sinners so that they can too become righteous and healthy? And so what Jesus is doing in this statement is he's showing the Pharisees, you're not righteous at all. You don't care about goodness. You don't care about God's goodness. You don't care about following Jesus. You care about your system. That's what he's saying here. He's kind of putting it to him there. Like, how ridiculous would that sound? Like, man, the nerve of that doctor, right? Like, I'm always healthy, and he never wants to talk to me, but he keeps seeing sick patients. Why doesn't he tell those sick patients to get better before they come to him? Right? It just doesn't make any sense. The Pharisees have missed the point here. If you're truly righteous, don't you want those sinners to receive mercy? They, they become so um, focused on their system that they use it to exclude people from receiving the mercy of God. But really, the prerequisite for receiving God's grace isn't that you fill out a, a checklist. Isn't that you look like the Pharisees tell you what you need to look like? It's, it's not that you do what uh, Friendship Church tells you what you need to do. The prerequisite for receiving God's grace isn't a checklist, but a heart check, which is what Jesus is doing here in this moment. We need a savior, not a system, uh, a sense of need in our own hearts allows us to receive Jesus. It, when we know that we need a physician, that drives us to the go be seen, to the doctor's office. If I think that I'm okay, I don't need a physician. I'm not going to go. So a sense of need in our hearts to see our need for Jesus, that's the prerequisite for receiving his grace. On the flip side, for the Pharisees, a sense of self-righteousness blinds us to Jesus because we can't fit him into the system. He just, he just doesn't fit. The system tells you that you can make yourself righteous and so be saved. The Savior tells you, no, you can't. You can't make yourself righteous, but I can save you nonetheless. This morning, church, you need a Savior, not a system. And that's the first major difference between a system versus a savior. A system tells you what you must do first. A savior meets you where you are, just as Jesus met Levi and just as he allowed the host of sinners and tax collectors to follow him. And we see the other major difference in verses 18 to 20. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, 
why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. I mean, just picture what he's saying there for a second. Like going to a wedding and saying, you know, announcing to everybody, ah, you know, like this wedding's great, but like, I just want to be closer to God, so I'm just, you guys can have fun and have your food and dance. I'm going to sit in the corner. I'm not going to have any food, and I'm just going to be in prayer this whole time because uh, I'm more spiritual than you. Right? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, no, the, it, this is a time of feasting. This is a time of celebration. Right? Fasting, if, if you're fasting and you're missing the feast, it's because you're, you're too honed in on your system. Like, you've got to let go of that. And, and this, this, th- those things, these practices, these disciplines, they point us to our Savior and they, they help us see our need for our, our Savior. But when it becomes all about those things, then we miss our, our Savior. That's what's going on here. And so Jesus says, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom, Jesus himself, is taken away from them. And they will fast in that day. And this is the other major difference that we see here between feasting, and, uh, between uh, a system and a savior. Is this, that the savior brings you to joyful freedom. He invites you to the banquet. He invites you to be a part of the, the wedding feast. He brings you into joyful freedom while a system keeps you soberly enslaved to the checklist, soberly enslaved to make sure that you're always doing what you have to do. A religious system focuses on the do's and don'ts. And don't get me wrong, like I said, when Jesus called Levi, he wasn't saying, hey, Levi, you're great as you are. Keep doing tax collecting. Keep extorting people. Oh, and by the way, follow me. He called Levi to follow him. He met him where he was, but as Levi followed him, who became Matthew the evangelist, as as he follows him, he learns to to say no to his sin. And so do's and don'ts and uh, religious practices, they're not necessarily wrong. There's nothing bad with them, but when we elevate them above Jesus to the point that uh, we're not doing them to know Jesus better, we're doing them out of a sense of self-righteousness, out of a sense of this is the thing, that if I do this enough, if I memorize enough scripture, if I fast enough, this is going to make me right before God. If we're doing it then uh, and we're focusing on that, then we're trusting in a system, and we don't need a system. We need a savior. And so the system focuses on, you know, more rules and regulations, and you got to do this, and fast on this day, and do this, and you just pile it on, and pile it on, and it gets heavier and heavier, and you get weighed down by religion. I think we talked about this last week. They, they would call that the yoke, like an oxen would be yoked onto a burden, and that oxen would carry it, and, and, and they had this, uh, this term in, in Jewish language called the yoke of the law, and man, the Pharisees made that yoke heavy. The Pharisees made that burden difficult, and you become enslaved to the system. Paul uses that language in Galatians 2.4. He says that religious people wanted to spy out their freedom in Christ and so enslave them under the religious systems. And when he writes in the book of Galatians, that's where I get that language of freedom 
joyful freedom in Jesus versus soberly enslaved to the law from Galatians 2, where Paul talks about it. The Pharisees were soberly enslaved to their religious system, and that sparks their question to Jesus here. Basically, what they're saying is, hey, Jesus, why aren't you teaching your disciples to follow the system? We got a good thing going here. What's going on? Verse 18, why don't your disciples fast? We do. John's disciples do. Wasn't he your forerunner? John's disciples even fast. What, what's up? Yours don't. Why don't you fit into our system? Jesus, you're, you're feasting, Jesus, with sinners, with tax collectors, when you should be fasting. This is religion. It's not fun. It's serious. Well, what I've experienced so far at Friendship Church is if religion is serious, then we're not that good of a church. Now, religion was so serious for the Pharisees that even though the Old Testament only, only commanded Israel to fast on one day every year, the Pharisees decided to bump that up to two per week. And Jesus' response basically says, man, you've set up this whole system of righteousness, but you're missing the whole point. When it, came, when it came to fasting specifically, and you can apply this to any religious discipline, any Christian discipline, any good thing that we can engage in, the purpose of fasting is to physically remind us of our need for the Savior. The purpose of fasting isn't to say, Monday, Thursday, I did it. I did it again. This week, it was tough. Man, I really wanted that cupcake, but I said no. The purpose of fasting is to remind us of our need for the Savior. Because the prerequisite isn't to fill out a checklist. The prerequisite is to know that we need the Savior. The prerequisite is to recognize that we're sick, so we'll go to the physician. And these practices help us, help point us, help point our hearts, direct us to the Savior. The Pharisees made it about their system to mark it off their checklist. And in doing that, they've turned the joy of, of freedom in Christ into a sober burden of being enslaved to a religious system. And this morning, I desire for this church to just know the joy of knowing and following Jesus. That there is joy in a sinner coming to Christ and saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for choosing to love me and extend your grace. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is joy. There is celebration. And sometimes it feels like it's just somber. And we're just doing what we have to do. Because my pastor said, I got to do this. He said, he said, that's what the Bible said. And so I guess I've got to go do this. 
But Jesus paints a clear picture here. He calls the sinner, and immediately after, he's feasting. They're sharing a meal. They're having fun. And then again, in, in, in this passage, he uses the imagery of a wedding feast, of a bridegroom. He says, what? Jesus is like, what are, you, what are you guys doing? You're missing it. Because you're so focused on your system. And so, which one do you want this morning? Do you want the joyful freedom of going, knowing that, knowing that you need help and going to your Savior? Because there's freedom in doing that? Or do you want to continue, if that's where you're at, do you want to continue to live enslaved in a soberly trying to do it all. Which one are you experiencing this morning? And let me tell you, when we talk about a religious system, you might think, yeah, okay, great. Um, uh, I'm not Buddhist. I'm not following Hindu teaching. Uh, I'm not following Muslim teaching. Um, certainly not a Scientologist, so great, I'm good. I'm not following a religious system. I'm following the Christian one. No, you can have a Christian system that you follow. Do you see what these are, people are asking of Jesus? They say, yeah, the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting. Who else is fasting? The disciples of John, John the Baptist, a good Christian. I mean, John followed Jesus. He, he put his faith in the Savior, not a system. Yet here you have his disciples fasting like this. And they may have been fasting for great reason. I'm not saying that John's disciples were, you know, focused on their religious system. But Mark put it in his gospel to say that they were doing this too. I think to communicate to us, it's not just the, the, uh, those religions out there. Don't follow those systems. Follow our system. It's, no, don't make Christianity a system that you try to fit Jesus in. Because you try to fit Jesus into a box or into a system, that's not going to happen. Have you tried it before? It doesn't work. He blows it up. So what are you experiencing this morning? Trusting in the Savior to, to be righteous for you on your behalf and to grant you that and to give you the Holy Spirit that you can live in freedom and in victory or are you trying to earn that on your own, in your own strength, following the system, even if it's a nice, neat little Christian system? Now, if you want to experience the joyful freedom of, of Jesus as your Savior, Jesus ends with an invitation to that. He invites us. He says, here's how you do it. Let go of our systems. Let go of our sins and say yes to the joyful presence of our Savior. That's what these two parables, if you see in verses 21 and 22, that's what these teach us. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. You guys understand this one? I'm not really a clothes person, so I had to look this up, right? You get a new piece of fabric. When that thing gets washed and dried, it shrinks, I guess. 
So you put that on an old garment. Maybe it had a little hole in it. You're trying to patch it up. You put on an old garment, and the old garment, when you go to wash it, isn't going to shrink. It's already been shrunk. The new garment is going to shrink. Well, when the patch is on the old garment and that shrinks, but the old garment doesn't shrink, oh, yep, you make a bigger hole. You ruined them both. Way to go. <laughs> Likewise, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. They didn't have like wood barrels back then because you might think, oh man, if you, if you got like an old barrel, that might be better. No, they had like leather that, would, that could expand once. And when the leather got old, it would become dry and brittle. And so if you put wa new wine in there that's still fermenting, the fermentation process is going to create a whole bunch of carbon dioxide, a whole bunch of air, and it's going to expand. And if the leather has no leeway to give, that's going to burst to an up oh, way to go. You spilled the wine and you ruined the wineskins. You ruined them both. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, if you try to hold on to your system, or Levi, if you try to hold on to your sins and try to follow me, you're going to ruin both of it. You're going to ruin both the religious system because it points to me, and you're going to, you're going to miss out on Jesus. You're going to miss your Savior. You're going to ruin both of them. That's, that's his point here. So Jesus is saying, look, let go of the old. Don't put a new patch onto the old, all right? Just don't do it. And same way, don't put new wine into an old wine. Let go of those old wine skins. There is something new here in Jesus. That's what he's saying. To receive the Savior, you need to let go of the system. That is way easier said than done because I, I love to feel like I'm doing something good. I love to feel like I'm earning my keep. You know, we, we are living with friends right now in Bloomington in their basement, and it, <laughs> it's awesome, but it's hard. I'm like, man, I got to make it up to these guys. I got to like, give them money when they don't want to take money. I got to do this, and I got to make sure that, you know, last night, confession, Michael, Rebecca, if you guys are watching, I broke one of your bowls. I'm really sorry. That made it even worse. Oh. But I'm, li I'm living in this situation where I want to contribute. But they want to say, no, please take, we want to give. And so it's hard sometimes to let go of, of our religious systems because they help us say, they make us feel better, saying, I'm going to contribute something to this, Jesus. Thank you, you can get me most of the way, but let me finish here. And Jesus is like, let go. You're going to ruin everything. Literally, you're going to ruin the old, you're going to ruin the new. Stop. To receive the Savior, you need to let go of the system. You need to let go of, of the sin. You need to let go of the old. Levi left the tax booth. He left his sin and he followed Jesus. The Pharisees missed Jesus because they wanted to hold on to their old system. They remained soberly enslaved to that system. Again, that's not to say that church things are bad. Prayer, fasting, reading scripture, coming to Sunday service, being in a life group, these things can help us encounter our Savior. But if we're doing those things because they fit in our nice little system, then we've enslaved ourselves to the law because we need a Savior, not a system. 
The system says, you need to do this and fast on these days, eat with these people and say these prayers at these times. If you don't do all that, you're a sinner. You're not, you're not conforming to the system. And so the system then excludes those who don't measure up. The system excludes those who don't look right or act right. But the Savior says, I want those of you who don't measure up. That's who I came for. How freeing is that? Whatever it is you need to uh, repent of this morning, maybe it is a sin that you're trying to hold on to and follow Jesus. Or maybe it is a system that you're like, I got this thing figured out. You know, one of the most impactful things for me when I meet um, individuals who are more mature in their faith, um, and typically that means that they're older than me, and I love to make jokes about how people are older than me because I have a limited amount of time left on that because I'm getting up there. But... One of the things that strikes me the most that I say, man, I want to be like that when I'm older, is the older that these people get who are following Jesus closely, a huge sign that they've been following Jesus is their sensitivity to their need for him, where they confess things, and I'm like, man, you had to confess that? Like, that's my... They become so aware of their need for Jesus. And that's what he wants for us this morning. And so I invite you where you're at. If it's a sin, if it's a self-righteousness, if it, whatever it is, to repent of that, to let go of the old, so that afresh you can receive the new of Jesus. There's one more thing to consider this morning, though, as, as you mull on that. Because this isn't just about you. This isn't just about me. It's not just about friendship church. It's about God's mission to seek and to save the lost. See, when we recognize this, that we need a savior, not a system, when we live in that reality, then we engage in God's mission differently. When Jesus called Levi to trust him as his savior, uh, he didn't introduce him to a new system. That's why the Pharisees are so confused. They're like, well, what's your system? What do you, how, how do you do no, Jesus said, follow me as your Savior. And that's what we're called to do if we want to invite people to follow Jesus as well, to meet sinners where they're at and invite them to see their need for the Savior, not a system. We want to disciple people in the name of Jesus. We don't want to disciple people to look like friendship church people, to look like the little system that we've got going on here. In our mission, we want to invite people to follow Jesus, to see their need for a Savior. We're called to bring that message of Jesus Christ, the Savior, to all. This message that has power to free us from the bondage of sin and to free us from the enslavement of a religious checklist. And we'll only introduce people to a Savior instead of a system when we ourselves acknowledge that we need a savior, not a system. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm going to pray for us and explain a way that we can respond this morning. Jesus, I confess how often I trust in my righteousness. I trust in myself and not in you. I come before you and Pray that you would, uh, in my own heart and, and in our hearts this morning, 
Help us see our need for you, our Savior. May that give us much joy to know that you love us and that you came to save us. Would we, would we receive that joy and that gift this morning and receive your grace and your mercy in a fresh way? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we get to respond this morning um, in, in a couple of different ways. First, the normal way, um, which is by, by taking communion together. And we'll get there in one second, but um, we're also calling the church, secondly, to respond with a time of fasting together. And I know it's kind of weird. Uh, didn't we just say we need a Savior, not a system, so now we're going to fast? Great. Well, let me explain that. In, in communion, we, we have the opportunity to, to bask in the joy of knowing our Savior. It's kind of the earlier part of the chapter where Levi and the tax collectors and the sinners are all feasting with Jesus. That's what we get to do at communion this morning. We get to feast with him because he accepts us as we are. He calls us to um, examine our hearts and, and see our need for him, bring those needs to him, and receive uh, his provision. And, and so we get to feast with him this morning. But right before we do that, I, just, I do want to explain that fasting part. In the passage that we read, Jesus says that as long as the bridegroom is present, there's no need for fasting. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. There will be fasting in that day. We live in that time. That Jesus, the bridegroom, was physically present. There was no need to fast in his presence. He was there. He, he began the work of restoration, and he, he went he ascended to heaven, and he will come to finish it, but we wait for that. That's the time we live in right now. It's appropriate now, then, we kind of get to double dip, to feast with Jesus at communion. He's present with us, but to fast because we long for his physical presence, and to fast to train our hearts to long for him and nothing else. And so, um, regularly we feast, and occasionally we fast, and that's, uh, that's what we're going to do later today to help train our hearts to desire Jesus more, to show that we want more of our Savior's presence and his power in our lives. And so you should have received an email um, earlier this week, or if not, or in addition to that, um, you were given a fasting guide coming in, maybe one for family as you were coming in. If you didn't get one of those fasting guides, stop by um, at the uh, welcome table there on your uh, way out, or check your email if, if you're on that list. But that'll help walk through uh, our fasting. We will uh, we'll begin the fast after lunch today. So you got lunch plans, go ahead, eat your lunch. Begin the fast after lunch today, um, and a 24-hour period of fasting together to seek the presence of our Savior, to remind ourselves of our need for Him, that we need a physician that we need a savior, not a system. And so don't make this a system thing. Don't make this another thing to check off your checklist. It's a time to hunger for and seek the presence of our savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's the fasting portion. Um, but like I said, before we fast, we feast. And communion is available for us this morning. It's for those uh, who have trusted Jesus as their savior. We have an opportunity to first examine our hearts to see if there's anything we need to repent of, any sin, any, any self-righteousness, any systems that we're operating in to repent of. 
and come and receive the provision of our Savior. And so I just invite you to take a few minutes right now in this moment to examine your hearts, examine yourselves before the Lord, and then come and receive the communion elements. And when the song is finished, uh, we'll, we'll take the elements together.